welcome you to the podcast. I want to thank you for coming here this thank morning. Thank you so much. I mean, I really appreciate it. And I noticed that you've been looking at many of our podcasts, which makes me very happy. Yes. I've had some of your friends on. Yes. yes. I will, let me start off with, where, do you, where were you born? I was born in Bulgaria. Uh, Bulgaria is uh, South Europe, uh, close to, inside of Balkan Peninsula, close to Greece. And um, how to say, I was raised there, I graduated university, then I left. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have a sister. She has studied before in Toronto University. Uh, and uh, I mean, University of Toronto is the proper way. And uh, she is now professor in Sofia University in Bulgaria. Is she older or younger than you? She's younger. How many years difference? Six. So you're not really close at all, or were you close? Uh, I mean, we, I mean, we are physically separated for many years because she, I mean, she needs to take care of my parents. And but also, her being six years different, she was already out of elementary school and she came in almost. But it's not exactly the case. I mean, uh, but I were you close? Did you grow up close? Yeah, because you know we play all the time together, and uh, I was helping with her homework sometime. Is that right? And then also, <laughs> we went together to study in China. Okay, so what about mom and dad? How are they doing? I mean, they're quite old now. Okay. My my father passed away about eight years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, he was 94. Wow, he made it a good life. <laughs> he had a good life. Yes. That's excellent. Your mother? Uh, my mother is 85 and uh, she's okay, but uh, quite old now. Okay, so it was just they stayed together the whole time? Yes. They did? Yes. My goodness, what kind of work did your father do? Oh, my father was a professor at the uh, University of Fine Arts. Okay. She's a, he, he's a sculptor. And your mother? Mother is a professor in linguistics. So that explains Ex emeritus professor. Actually. That explains the two children being high powered in their fields. You an advanced advanced technology uh, and, and my and sister in, in, goes in, in, in linguistics in and linguistics? philosophy. So did they really push that when you okay? No. You, okay. No. Okay. When uh, you were a little kid. That's not true. Okay. Let me ask you this: in in elementary school, first of all, what kind of child were you? Were you more academic or were you more physical? No, because of our parents being more academic. Okay, so how did it start? What did they do? They read to you often and they had you... No, let me explain. Maybe that's not common, but because they know that it's difficult because I started uh, primary school earlier, earlier than other peers by one year. Everybody was starting at seven. I started at six. Okay. Uh, so they immediately, you know, arranged private tutors for me. And you were speaking the language. Your first language was... Bulgarian, Bulgarian, but right. I was sent to the foreign language school. At that time, English was not available, was Russian. So in the first year, I cannot understand any language in the school, but I managed. So I was sent in and a and Russian and school in Bulgaria, okay, but which is not a native language. But your parents me. only spoke to you in Bulgarian? Yeah, of course. Okay. Of course. But they could speak Russian too? Uh, because of, um, how to say, because of um, possibility to learn before that. Okay. And also, my, my father was born in Ukraine. Okay. But he returned back to Bulgaria before the war, Second War. Right. But your mother's Bulgarian? Yes, both of them are Bulgarian. Okay. But he, oh, you said but he went to Ukraine. No, no, when? He was born he there. He was born in Ukraine. Because his parents were agricultural migrants okay. at that time. But during the Holodomor in, 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 in Stalin period, when many Ukrainians died, they managed to survive, but they returned after that back yes. to Bulgaria. Bulgaria. And then, uh, of course, my mother and father experienced the war, but after that, they get married, and obviously, everything was fine. So, 
at home every always uh, me and my sister always have the kind of um, pressure to do better scores academically and so on and also when we become old I mean more mature we have always discussions in the dinner time about various topics of literature art science politics but you're going to tell me there was something that was not traditional about the way you were raised as a little kid yes because I came from school, I cannot play with other kids, I just need to have tutors to, to study language, mathematics, whatever. I always was busy. So s your parents made sure you had tutor, tutors? In order to, to make sure that I get achievement in the first years when I go to the foreign school or, or difficulties in certain fields. Okay. So they always ensure that. Of course, I have also attended private lessons on piano and so on, but I was busy as a kid, as like a, like a 16 years kid. I mean, uh, um, I was uh, already busy at six years old. Did you ever feel pressure because of that? Of Did course, and I naturally later lost some of my skills because I was also painting, but the pressure, I think, uh, somehow diverted that to to more to science, I mean. So would, how old were you when you started painting and stuff? Obviously I was very young, maybe four years old. I win, win actually uh, international competition on, on arts. But you didn't in, go to school till you were six? Yes, so that was before that, I mean. Okay. And my painting actually was awarded as a, as a gold medal in that uh, 69 competition. When so you were four years old? Uh, the painting was four years old, but the competition when I was six years old and was given me at that time. So old painting, old painting was presented later on. Oh, it was very interesting. But anyway, that is the past. I mean, I have diverted from that field a lot. I mean, the, what you mean, the art field? Yeah. Okay. My so father was not happy about that. He, so he diverted you real quick. No, I mean, he wanted me to become a successor of his business, which is? means art. Okay. I mean, so fine you, art. Oh, you mean he was happy that you? He wasn't happy that you diverted from yes. art. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's what so from the other, uh, from the, uh, from the my father line, ma many of uh, these other siblings and relatives, which we don't know very closely, because as you know, relatives are not very happy to coexist together in in, in some members in Bulgaria. Okay. So we are not so close. But what I mean is that they also have they in the field of engineering and mathematics. So you see, you have several, you know. DNA-driven directions. I mean, art and and and, uh, and social science, and then s natural science and engineering. Okay. Uh, so when did you divert from art? How old do you think you were when you diverted from art? Maybe maybe eight nine years old. Eight nine years old. Yeah. So what did you divert to science? Yes, because I already have um, asked um, friends of my parents to arrange to have a small uh, homemade chemical lab at home. So I was happy to do some simple experiments on that, changing I the colors of the chemicals. Right, right, right. So that really fascinated you. Yes. And you started to enjoy that. Yes. So then throughout school, you focused mostly on science? Yes, because um, I found it very in, uh, kind of exciting, rewarding. And my parents said, chemistry is dangerous. Chemic I mean, uh, you're dealing with chemicals better to go to physics mm -hmm. so that's how they actually further divert me from chemistry to physics my goodness <laughs> so that your parents did that yes because they said 
because I can win uh, some competition Olympiads in chemistry and physics. And it's most of the time the competition is similar day, so I need to choose one of those. <laughs> so you went into yes. physics? Yes. Michael, do you have any teachers that you remember that really inspired you? Yes, you I have actually private uh, tutors even in physics. And uh, because at that time it was difficult, you know, you need to open many kind of uh, problem books and try to solve them. Mm -hmm. And it's not trivial because the, 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 the homework for physics lessons is much simpler than for the actual one you need to go to national competitions. Okay. So that's why I enjoyed really uh, understanding from the teachers at private occasions. Your, your private teachers were very good? Yes, because... How, because did they how did they make it exciting for you? I mean, how did they inspire you? And that's a very good question. Nobody asked me before. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, because they had to... I mean, obviously, fun. by solving many problems, you get inspired. Because if you cannot solve one problem, you kind of lose uh, motivation. But if you try many and you solve most of them, you get the rewards. Well, how did they act? I mean, how did they... Did they, when, they when you just solved it, because this is Japan, you solve a problem, they go, Tsugi? Yeah, go to next. So, but Th that's what they did. They said, go to next. Your professor, your, your private tutors did that to you? Yeah. yeah. And that was inspiring to you? I mean, I, I like to, to see which more challenge I could solve before I, I uh, hit a re uh, uh, block, blo uh, say roadblock. Okay. Yes. And then what would they do to inspire you, to keep you going? Maybe they would give me uh, another case of electromagnetics or physics, something that is not in the standard textbook, so you need to think more about it or something like that. Yeah. That's how they did. But anyway, so from six years old, I have maybe two thirds until I was how much? 14 years old. Mm -hmm. After that, I could manage myself. But, uh, you know, this kind of effort and support from my parents I truly appreciate because re I later realized how difficult it is to do that in other countries. It's quite expensive in Japan and US. That's right, that's right. Well, I'm just, this, just a personal, I'm curious about this. Were your tutors mostly men or were they women? They're yeah, both. both. They're both. They're both. You had yeah, both. Yeah, of course. Uh, maybe the, the foreign language uh, tutors were female. Uh, the mathematics was always male. Uh, but I have one physics tutor that was also female. Okay, that's what I was wondering, because I think it's, it's inspiring to people to know, especially nowadays, where gender equality is so important, I that women really did play a part in some of the harder subjects. We consider them to be hard, like physics. You, you don't hear of many... That, that is true, you know I mean? but, uh, you know, to be honest, that's what I want to mention, that the quality of the teacher at school influences your scores. If the teacher is very kind of harsh of saying, hey, that's wrong, you're not solving properly the equation, you lose the motivation and you cannot get uh, make a progress. But when you have a good inspiring teacher, especially I always have that in physics and chemistry, that's how I kind of get attracted to this f those fields. That's what I was asking you. See, the thing I was asking you, Ivo, was this. Being a teacher myself, <coughs> if the teacher is a child, when you're being taught, you're always looking at the teacher to see how they respond. If my face is cold, and you've done the next one, you understand what I'm saying? They should light up and go, 
Wow. Not every teacher can do that. I understand that. But there has to be something to make you, because that's what your parents do when they show you they uh, care. M most of the teacher in, in, in that conservative time, in a sense of uh, that was good time, mm -hmm. that teacher was strict and kind of proper. Uh, some of them are very strict and that, of course, scares the students. But I was scared from biology, for example, because of the teacher. The teacher was too strict. I have two teachers in a junior high school and a high school. They are very strict in the sense you don't answer this because you need to answer, you know, I don't know the system in the United States, but you need to answer in front of other students. Yes, sometimes we do that. And if you cannot, it's a humiliation. But also, did they did they have corporal punishment when you were young? Uh, uh, that was in the primary school. Okay. You need to go out from class or you need to stay in the corner. Uh, th that is not correct today, but at that no. time that was common. When I was in school, they could actually paddle you. No, no, I understand that. Yeah. And, and that's why my grandfather actually needed to defend me with some of, from some of the teachers. Because the teachers were very physical. Uh, no, because they asked me to stay outside and I, I, I want to listen in the class inside. <laughs> So sometimes your grandfather would have to come in yes. and say, no, my, son's, my grandson's going to stay inside. No, he, he never did that, but okay. I mean, he always discussed with teachers what my son, did, my grandson did wrong and what he could do better, and then they would where is the problem, and, and so on. But also sometimes it's not the teachers, it's also with the peers. So it's a kind of, uh, I, I, I'm saying is today parents do not support so much teachers with the schools because that's considered, you know, that cow is caught in Japan, that's called monster parents. I understand. If the parents complain too much to the school, principal, teachers, uh, teacher, uh, the school is afraid of this kind I of thing. But anyway, so he didn't But at that, that time, so that was normal. You need to defend your <laughs> students. You had to show interest in your child. If you yes. did, the teachers would show more interest. And also, you know, these meetings between the teachers and parents was always regu on a regular basis, and, and uh, it could be formal one and also informal. I see, I see. But, but what I like my parents is that if they found that they cannot fix the problem, they moved me to another school. How many times did you have to move schools? I mean, uh, some of the time I need to go to another school after entering exam, and means get to the better school, which was the national school, yes. mathematics and physics. Yes. But other cases, uh, I, mean, I mean, totally I have uh, four schools. I mean, four in my wait, from wait. first grade to the 11th grade. But of course, there's a natural change anyway, from elementary to middle school to high yes, school. Yes, but you can go from one school to I another physically. So when did, which, what time did that happen? When you were in elementary or uh, middle school? I, I, they said, enough with the Russian school, let's move to the normal school When now. was that, elementary? Uh, no, that was uh, during the, uh, the last year of the primary school. Okay. Then I go to the junior high school in one place, but they moved me to another one. Okay, so it was in junior and high school. And then I go to the national high school, I mean college. And stayed there? Uh, yeah. I see. Yeah. So it was in junior Fourth high school, school that you had to change. Yes. Oh, that's yes. interesting. Yes. My goodness. But so can you imagine changing one school to another? Of the peer pressure and all of these things, fights with the boys. Everything, yes. <laughs> Finding out where you sat. And you had to do And But see, there's one disadvantage you had, too. You had a disadvantage I had. My father actually put me in school one year early. Yeah, yeah the same as me. There's a great disadvantage when you're young. Correct. You're one, not year, one year makes a big difference. Yes. You're not physically nor mentally as strong as the child above you. Correct. In the same grade. And it affects you your whole life. Correct. But there was one advantage. And that advantage is that when I graduated school at 17, I could go to university. And by going to university, I could defer my nationally military conscription which was mandatory at that time now is abolished but at that time every man need to spend two years 
in military training, which, which was young. considered stress. But you had to be 18, right? No, no, that's why I was that's not, right. and I was able to go to university when I was young. I was exactly. very glad on that. You're very lucky on yeah. that. Mine, mine was different. As soon as I got in, it was Vietnam. Yeah. I didn't have a choice. My first year in college, they drafted me. Wow. So I had to enlist. Yeah, but you're lucky. At that time, you cannot enlist for medical reasons. No, I no, tried. No, no. No, I tried. No, let me tell you, no. They <laughs> wanted me, if, if I didn't enlist, I would have gone straight to Vietnam because wow. I would have been in the Army. So I enlisted to the Air Force, which is hard for you to go to Vietnam unless you're a pilot. Ah, that's why I did it. Very good point. Very good point. That's why I did it. Another way to get out of Vietnam, possibly, is to join another branch, was the Coast Guard. But some of the Coast Guard people didn't realize went to Vietnam. Oh, I see. So that wouldn't be sure, but the Air Force was pretty sure unless you uh, became a pilot. I've been only one time in the U.S. Coast Guard ship, which was a DARPA conference in Florida in the, in the, the most south place, which was the, I forgot the name. They, they, I was only Canadian, and they allowed me to, to, to be on the shi that ship, and that was explained at that time okay. by, the, by uh, the Coast Guard people. My goodness. Let me ask you this. So when you finish college, you finish with what type of degree? degree? College, you mean uh, high school or no, university? University. Yeah, that was a uh, master degree. In what? In physics. In physics. Applied physics. My goodness. And then I you left the country. So I, I went to study. Uh, you left Bulgaria? Yeah. And you went where? I went to China. But how many languages did you have by that time? I mean, uh, only three. I mean, uh, Bulgarian, what? Russian, and English. Oh, okay. So you had the English, okay. Yeah. And you went to China? No, because, uh, let me explain. <laughs> uh, let me explain. At that time, Bulgaria was the, the Eastern Bloc, and you cannot go to the West. Right. So what year are we talking when you graduated? 1986. I went to military prescription for when three did years. It change? When did it change? 89. The so very it went year, one, the one, one year, year later. Later. That's yes, what I thought, yes, yeah. Yes. That's from the Berlin Wall, all yes, that. Yes, correct. Correct. So I was... <laughs> Uh, anyway, and after China, I went to uh, University of Toronto. Where did you go to China? Where, where in no, China? because uh, I was in, in Canton, in Guangzhou. In Guangzhou. Guangzhou. I used yeah. to, not too far from Hong Kong, in the first stop. Because Sun Yat-sen University. I was in Guangzhou. That's where I sold medical equipment. Yeah. In Guangzhou. Dirt roads. Uh, of everything, course. Everything. Of it was course, just, my course. goodness. Even finding the bread at that time was difficult. You <laughs> need to go to the, to the kind of fa famous foreign I I uh, yes. hotel to buy. Yes, yes. Was yes. not available. Yes, that's for sure. <laughs> and if you went to the hotels, because they w most of the things are set up like compounds. Yes. You get inside. I saw more Mercedes Benz inside there. Friendship uh, store, friendship hotel, all Wasn't these places where when the foreigners can buy some foreign that's food. Right, that's right. That's right. <laughs> anyway, after that, I went to the University of Toronto. And so you stayed there for a year. How was your year in China? You didn't speak Chinese. No, I need to spend maybe one and a half to two years before I can survive there. Because at that time, if you speak English, nobody can understand. So how could you do anything? What did you do? I mean, of course, I was with my sister. Why were you with you? Okay, oh, because we, she went to study <laughs> at in, in, in Peking University. I went to study in Sunets University in Guangzhou. She was in Peking. But you see, my point that we study for one year together, the first year when you need to have some basic Chinese, was very hard. Because starting from zero and, and also Tiananmen Square happened at that time. That's right. So we need to be moved to the embassies. All foreign students need to move from the embassy. And we need to stay there for some several we weeks, I would say, because you cannot depart the country easily at that time. You need to buy a ticket, and ticket was not easily available. We actually want to depart by Trans-Siberian train, mm. <laughs> and I saw Chinese uh, migrant, I mean Chinese nationals, being arrested at the border when you leave China to Mongolia. At that time, 
That was so what did July '89. So what did you do when I saw that? Yes. Just I know what the Chinese authorities can do to anyone. Right. Right. But they didn't bother you, of course. No, I have a lot of boxes of books because I was thinking I'm not coming back to China at that state. I, d I don't know what was the Your sister was with you too? Yes, because we, we need to, all, all foreign students need to not stay in the universities, they need to stay in the embassies. I understand. Until uh, things cal calm down. I mean, that was an interesting time. Yes. You were living history. Yes. Living history. Yes. And we saw. Did you? Did you? I mean, were you really fearful at this time? Did it scare you a lot? Did you think? A little bit. When I see, at least I saw only one dead body taken by Chinese people from somewhere, and they move it in this uh, kind of carry, uh, you know, this you know manual rickshaw type stuff. Did you carry ever it in the Dutch compound of the of the foreign language did university? Did you ever see anybody being hurt? Not accept that uh, that that, uh, that, that accident, and and of course everything else was, even I think Chinese students tried to post some photos of the uh, damaged bikes and and bodies, but was very low resolution, difficult to see at that time. Technology was not great, uh, so photo taken and photo printed, you know, that was the only right. way at that right. time, right. eighty nine. So anyway. W we are not scared because we know that we are foreigners. And also, please understand that my mother was a uh, foreign professor at ch in China in '65. I didn't know that. You're and telling me now. And, and <laughs> I'm saying is that she, she saw the, the the dangers of the um, Red um, Army, which was which is called in Chinese Hunwei Pins, uh, at that time and the. Chinese side told her, you need to leave the country, it's not safe for you anymore in 66. In 66? Yes. Why, was so wait, why did your mother go to China? Okay, so that is <laughs> even more interesting. He was a student in linguistics. She was. Yeah, sorry, he was. She, she was. Yeah, she was. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Tired this morning. No problem, no problem. Uh, so, and then there was a professor from China coming in that early, uh, late 80s, 50s to Sofia University to show what Chinese language is. Nobody in Europe know at that time anything about China, physically, right. really. Right. And then many of the, uh, the language uh, kind of uh, students, graduate students, they attended the lessons and then they said, that's very difficult, there's no way. But somehow my mother said, that's very interesting, let me continue. So her, her, her um, graduation thesis was the comparative uh, grammar differences between Bulgarian and Chinese language, which, is, which was kind of uh, extraordinary in those uh, early 60s when she graduated. And that's how she kind of engaged with the China without knowing anything about China or anything of the future of China that will happen in the that's next right, 60 that's years. Right, that's right. So when there was a need from the Chinese side to have a professor teaching Bulgarian language in China, she applied and she was she approved to go there. How long the was she there? Oh, just one year because one the contract year. was for two years, but the Cultural Revolution canceled. Happened, so canceled it. Yes. So she, she always told me many things that I need to know. She said, Chinese people work very well before the Cultural Revolution, but they start to become lousier after that because she also went in the 80s. Uh, for kind of teaching again Bulgarian for, for two years and also for even some refreshing studies by herself later on when we are there 
me and my, my myself and my sister. So what I'm saying is my mother has the longest understanding of history of China in the sense of language and how the language have changed in China in the last 60, 70 years. But we always said we are not interested in politics and we don't care what the Chinese officials say. And I think today it's very hard to do that right. in any country. That's right, that's true. <laughs> even, even in our discussion, I don't want to go right. further. We, we won't, we won't. Yeah. because that is true. Um, it seems like because our communication is so easy nowadays, yes. we're finding more countries, if not the world, censoring more people because of this ease of communication we have. However, I know uh, Americans that are fully naturalized in Japan, being citizens here, they know about China also very well. I mean, I'm not saying I know China very well politically. I know maybe a kind of bio myoic experience and from experience of my mother and father, because my father also was there before the war, before the uh, Cultural Revolution, just visiting my oh, mother. Okay, okay. My mother. Yeah. So, um, he, he has a also very interesting and unique experience, but I don't need to explain them now for several reasons. One of them is that shows the underdeveloped side of China at that time, which was 65. People think 65 China was great. No, that was not well, the case. How <laughs> it wasn't great when we in the 80s when you went there. <laughs> the roads were still dirt. This no, it's not only dirt. It was no, I mean, I barely mean, manageable I'm to live there. I know that. Listen, the one thing I found when I went there, because I started selling equipment, medical equipment there, in the late 80s, in the late 80s. And actually we had the opportunity to go as teachers in the 70s, the late 70s when they finally opened it up to foreigners. I didn't go then, but I went in the 80s. And it was interesting to me, they had the basics. They had a roof over their head, they had clothing. It wasn't new. Don't forget, they have public toilets. There is no private that time. You know that. I, but let me tell you what. Every community have their own toilet and the doors will be never closed. So when I was living in the 80s in the dormitory, public no, no, I was living in the dormitories. The doors for male and female was also the same toilet. When the Chinese people go there, even female, they never close the door. So I need to always carefully watch if it's to occupied sure. or not to yes. make sure that I don't disturb them. Yes. You yes. understand this yes. is a cultural. I understand that. No, I mean, because traveling through the country too, when you got off the buses. Oh, I have on the bus. You I was in the 80s in the bus with my mother. You went into the weeds. Yes. The women would go to the yeah. left, the men would go to the right, yes. and everybody do what they have to do and they'd come back. And, and also do you understand what is interesting, <laughs> if you travel to China, South China, like Fukan and, 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 and Guangdong, yes. uh, they eat uh, sweet um, uh, stuff and everything is on the floor of the bus. Yeah. And, and we're trying to put it in the, in the back and we said, and, and we realized that nobody can do that. Isn't that interesting? But it is a culture, I Of course it's culture, because even when I came and to Japan... And the lady from the, uh, the bus need to clean after every stop, I mean. That's right. I think that's... I'm long-term bus, I mean, not the right. short I understand, one. I understand. Well, even if we're talking about China and stuff like that, you could talk about any country back in the day. Every country's evolving. Of course. Because America, the same thing. I think about that as a little kid. And then look at it now, where, where our infrastructure is starting to cave in because no one's taking care of it. But it was really beautiful. No, because you require high maintenance fees. No, there's no maintenance, you know. And, it, and then you look at Japan after the war, what it's doing. So every culture has its own thing in of China. Course. Stuff. But let's get into this. What made you, what was your first job once you finished university? Oh, uh, I, I have not such kind of job because I need to go to the 
military training, oh, you, and then went directly get, went to China. You have no job after graduating university right away. Wait, wait. You had a deferment, but you still had to go. Yes, I, I cannot. <laughs> I cannot. You see, I I, I'm sorry. I cannot. Uh, did I cannot manage in the way you did? I tried. I tried to kind of. You had. I oh, tried to years. delay. I tried to make medical reasons. My parents tried, but it was not possible. My goodness. And you can I, I have six months of, uh, what is it called, reserve officer training, yes, yes. and then one and a half year staying in the actual unit, and luckily I was transferred from, the, from one division to artillery, which was kind of much easier, because I could have at least a uh, city uh, break on the weekend, which was not possible otherwise. What was your job in the military? No, I was just cleaning some optical equipment that is necessary for the, for the um, artillery division. That's all. Yeah, I was for I was fine for two years. For two years. No, no, I was fine for one and a half year. I was not fine for the first six months of training. I can imagine because I have nine duties, and nine duties during the all all these two years was the one that really damaged me. What was it called? Night du duties. Night duties. That you need to stay around the phone and need to answer. Yes. You have another guy to exchange every two hours, but in reality, one guy slept more, so you need to suffer more. I because of the you know this older and younger soldiers, you know. So after you got out of the military, what did you do? Let's I went to China, directly right away. Again? Not again. That was immediately after. I mean, oh, so I missed it. Okay, so yeah. I missed the part. So from university, you went into the military, yeah. or did you do it while you were in the in this? Wait, no, once no, you no, finished no. university, you went to the military. Yeah, because of the prescription. Uh, prescription you have to uh, for two years. Then from there, then you went to China. Yes. Okay, with your sister. Yes, because luckily she, she was as a kind of, um, what is it, undergraduate, I was a graduate student. So we applied different programs, but the first year we in the same place. I understand. And after that we stay in different places. Right. And but she stayed after me after as well, because when I went to University of Toronto, she stayed more longer because need to graduate university there. I understand. In Peking University is uh, how much, five years or four years right. or something like that. So you went to Toronto, what did you do? I started my postdoc there. Postdoc in okay, material right, science, right, okay, right. and I was very excited because I have British professors being f professors in the University of Toronto, and of course at that time I don't know so much about the history of Canada and U.S. But later I learned, yes, because I become Canadian, naturalized Canadian citizen, okay. and then I leave. Uh, and, and then after Toronto University, I went to Japan. But let me ask you this: ha Were you are you married now? Yes. Were you married then? No. Okay, so you're single all that time. Yes. Okay, so you finished your postdoctorate, and then you did what? And then they invited me uh, for sabbatical research in, in, in uh, Tsukuba, Japan, okay. Scuba East, yes. and I went for one year. When I returned back, um, I quickly was able to find a job in Montreal, and then I, I started to work continuously for the electronic industries in Canada, in Japan, I also went for three years in Florida, U.S., I mean, worked for the U.S. companies. And then I decided after my daughter was born to return back to Japan to offer her education in Japanese. Wait, your wife's Japanese? Yes. Okay, so, so let me get, let me just turn, you're going kind of fast for me. So after you left, after you left Toronto, you came to, you were invited to Japan. Yes. Is that when you met your wife? No. Okay. No. Let's get to that. Let's mm. <laughs> so put that no. in perspective. Yeah. So I returned back to, to, to Canada after one year. 
Okay. And I was looking for, for, the, for the kind of, say, job outside of university, outside of academia. Academia, I found, is, was difficult because you need to be either a professor or you need to be permanently a research assistant. So I don't like that. I, I applied for many engineering jobs and I got one in Montreal first and then I moved back to Toronto after uh, one year. I was in Canada, in Toronto, when I attended conferences in Japan on my field of ferroelectrics. And uh, during the one of these conferences, I presented and I heard a question from one uh, Japanese asking me about my research. And then I was, I talked in private after the presentation, and I realized that there is a lot of interest in that in Japan. What was it? Well, tell, me, tell us what it is. What was that? Your that field is, uh, that, of that, that is at that time, was a very hot topic, not now. At that time, was a ferroelectric memory. Okay. Uh, it was a very early field at that time, in the early 2000s. So and what is that? Okay, so this is a material that can switch polarization if you apply external electric field. So that's how, if you apply that, you can make a permanent memory of one state. Even you remove the field, this state remains and okay. is non-volatile. So that's why it was a very hot topic at that time, and Fujitsu did a lot of work in that. I have American friends now that we're working. I was invited to join uh, one uh, large Japanese company, different from Fujitsu, in, in Kansai, in Kyoto. And then I, and he was in, in Fujitsu in Tokyo. But what I'm saying is that that was the first time I realized that I could live and work in Japan simply because of my field of research or field of uh, engineering. And make a good living. And, they in, and, and later they invited me to join that company. At that time I have no idea what Japanese corporation is. I tried to root, uh, read some book in English, but the, everything was kind of frank, fractional. The real corporation is very different from what is written right. in the book it's in English. Yeah. So, so you, you don't get any information you're saying from the books? Not so much. Everything was kind of very superficial and very basic. That was not sufficient to manage. Because I was the only, how to say, zero language, Japanese language speak foreigner immersed in a Japanese corporation, which is very traditional, very conservative, and there is no foreigners that I can share any of my experience at that time. Things have changed in the last 10 years. But that time in 2005 range, um, I have you know, one another foreigner who was married in Japanese and, and uh, speaking fluent Japanese and I'm only foreigner coming with difficulties even explaining what I need to the, to the secretaries or the OL, I mean office ladies, OL, yes. uh, members, uh, female staff that need to give paperwork for you. Everything was manual at that time. Everything was paper-based. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So when did you get married? That was at that time, at that time I, when, I, when, when I went to, to work for my company in, 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 uh, in the um, in, uh, prefecture close to Kyoto, which is Shiga Prefecture, that was my location. You need to take train every day during the weekend for going to Kyoto or during the week going to the company. So in one of those occasions I met, met my wife. Okay. Oh. And then uh, after we get married, I got an uh, offer to move to US, so we decided to take this kind of undertaking and we, we, we moved our belongings from 
Japan to Florida and then my daughter was born there and then we are thinking what to do and but she has US citizenship then your daughter of course because she's born right of course yes yeah. but then did she also get Canadian citizenship since she can get anything of, of from her parents okay so she can get a Japanese Bulgarian Canadian uh, Japanese oh so you US. have Bulgarian Canadian yes okay I'm dual citizenship which is allowed to be in both Canada and US uh, sorry Canada and in, in Bulgaria, Bulgaria, but not in Japan and US. Right. Uh, in, in Japan, it's not allowed. In US, it's somehow it is a, it allowed. It is, it's allowed, yes. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's not the point of the citizenship. It's the point of language have effect on mentality. It does. So the closest Japanese school is in Miami. It's too far from us, so we cannot drive five hours one way. So that's why we decided to, to move out. You had to make sure she understood Japanese. Yes, not understand. Get formal education in Japanese. I understand. Because going to the Saturday school is not sufficient to get real written uh, Japanese language. And also cultural. She wouldn't understand the, Correct. the nuances that you Correct. can only understand if you go to school. Correct. Because they teach, it's interesting. I had my kids in Japanese school, and it was because of a linguist that I decided to make sure they learned Japanese by going to elementary school. Because that's where they're taught to be Japanese. Correct. You're very good. You're yes, very sir. good in linguistics because yes. I hear from, from my parents and my sister. But yes. <laughs> ling linguistics is very important. They know. If they know, because they had their daughter, I taught. Her name was Claire. I never forget her. When she was in elementary school, pre preschool, she wouldn't speak because her parents spoke five languages. But they, they said, they told me, both parents were linguists, you must be disciplined, not your child. Mondays we speak French. Wow. Tuesdays we speak German. Thursday, you know, they did it like that every day. And she, listen, when she turned six years old, boom, yeah, everything, because her mind put it together. But I would say this to her: I say, Claire, do you understand what I'm saying? She go, yes. Nihongo wa kanemaska? She go, yes. I'd say, Spanish, Espanol, habla Espanol, and she go. She, can do, she understood, no. but she couldn't put it together to speak yet. Correct, because so the beautiful. brain wiring, it it's requires time. And also, please understand, that's a tremendous pressure for the brain. That's but right. up to five languages, brain can take. And that's what they had, five languages. They had five languages, and Claire was phenomenal after she became six. Poof. And they knew what they were doing, so obviously someone had taught them. Because I don't think, you know, that's why I think this type of thing I'm doing, the podcast. Storytelling is so important for us. It is important. Because no one teaches us how to teach. Uh, correct. And also you right. see everybody have unique mixtures of language, science, yes. arts, and also the country's experience and interactions with other foreigners. Yes. I was actually having my significant interactions with the primarily Japanese foreign students in China because that was the 75-80% of the foreign students at that time were Japanese. Yes. In China? Yes. Two reasons. Low cost. Um, opportunities for Japanese companies was at that time, in, in the 80s, was very booming. That's right. And also interest in, in, the, in the traditional Chinese language and culture, which was one of the reasons, for example, for my sister to go to that direction. But to answer your earlier question, my sister went to China because of my pre uh, the pressure from my mother. She wanted to make sure she went. 
No, because she always said, we have too many dictionaries and books in Chinese. I don't want this to be wasted <laughs> here without <laughs> you going to continue <laughs> that field. But my sister was always upset of that because of the pressure of changing her direction yeah, because of my mother. What did your sister want to do, do you think? She wanted to do probably, um, what is it called? Visual arts and, okay. and also maybe literature. I see. I mean, Your father uh, would have been happy uh, with uh, the arts. Uh, yeah. Book writing or poem right, writing right. or something like that. But that's not what happened? No. And uh, she was complaining for many years and I can completely understand So what that. does she do now? She's, She's a full professor in, in, in ancient Chinese linguistics and philosophy. It means she's teaching both the origin of the kanji and, uh, and, uh, uh, and the philosophy of Lao Tzu and Zhuang Tzu. Is she married? No. She isn't, okay. No. One of the reasons is she always needs to take care of my parents. That was I see, I one see. maybe factor. And but she's, she's in Bulgaria now. Yeah. And she's teaching that in Bulgaria. Yeah. That's interesting. She published That's many beautiful. books, but the problem is, I always told her, do not publish in Bulgarian, translate them in English. <laughs> she never had the time to do that. I understand. But now it's easier to do. With their technology, it's so easy to do. True. She can uh, do it very easily. I now. agree with you now she completely. Can. The German uh, language translation of so Deep L is really a powerful. And, it, and it's good. It's accurate now, too. Yes. It's not as glitchy as it used to be. Yes. Yeah. Ten years ago or fifteen years ago was very bad. Very, very difficult. I you might as well write it yourself. I bought a language uh, translator yes. in software and yes. it was bad. All of us tried. All of us tried it once. We wanted to see if it would work, and it just did not. Didn't. It would. It didn't get the nuances. It could not do it. But now it can, and it puts in the nuance. You can adjust. AI is tremendous true, nowadays. True. It's a, I think the biggest issue we have, or the however, biggest challenge we have, is however, you still need to learn it in academic, old-fashioned way before you t tap to the AI this laziness. This, you know what I, was what I was about to say, Ivo, was this. Even though our AI is really good, if you don't know how to prompt it, you only get as good an answer as the question you give it. So you have to know how to ask it the right questions. That's the one thing I found that's so important. And the younger people, they have a, but they haven't learned to ask the right questions. They're playing games. That is the danger of the Isn't modern society, of the mobile phones, online games, and also addictive the drain to the to repetition rather than to analytical thinking or, or, or questioning the status yes. quo. Yes. Which means <laughs> we're going to have less challengers in the future. That's true. But I think academia always does that some way or another. At first it was the fact if you couldn't read, you couldn't get in. Then we get people up to speed in reading. Then there becomes something else. And it's th we tend to do that as human beings because we like true. to be on top. <laughs> We'd true, like to stay on true. top. But on and the that's why countries get rid of the academics, because once they get too strong... <laughs> but on the end, <laughs> let's go back to revisit the entire history in Europe. Europe have very unique education historically, which has now been kind of demolished. Uh, you know, I heard that. That was not in my case, but in university level in Russia, I heard that professor was saying, this is your s problem to solve. Go home, open any book, and try to solve it. They were giving them real problem that is not in the book. There is no answer there. So you see, that is an example of how you can stimulate you know, creative thinking. Of course, in Bulgaria it was not exactly like that. But I remember we have lectures from very famous professors that are directly studying from Dirac quantum physics and they teach you quantum physics in Sofia University. So you have some kind of inspirational aspect.
And of course, not all of the students reach to that level of, course, of, course. of theoretical physics, let's say, which is uh, always very complex and, and challenging for all of the students. But what I'm trying to say is that you have impact of the style and history of the professor to your generation of, of scholars. That's right. So what are you doing now? Okay. Where so I'm what I'm doing now is what exactly I was doing maybe since uh, since returning back to Japan to Toronto is is uh, I'm microelectronics uh, kind of um, component manufacturing and, and, and product development and, and uh, technology development. I was doing this for the last uh, 25 years. What do you find of those things that you're doing, advanced technology and electronics? Where do you get your most enjoyment? Uh, in 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 uh, frontier, uh, I mean, what is it called? Um, in implementation of challenging new technologies into actual product, because that is very different from academia. Academia, they can publish nice high-impact paper, but it's very difficult to scale that in real in new product or real mass production. Mass production require high yield and and control cost mm -hmm. to make it you know, accepted by the market. So what I'm enjoying is if new conceptual ideas of new material, new processes, new kind of design, uh, not design, but how to say, device architecture actually been implemented in a real product is very, very exciting. Mm. Because that is the thing that you need to compete with the top of the top engineers in another maybe. Because don't forget, every field have competition but in the top level is not more than six companies in the same field in my in, field in is world, like that in yes the world. in the world there's only very few companies at least less than a dozen that work in the same field so if you take top of their engineers maybe five to ten people multiply by six that's the that's the top of the top I right. need to compete and with and but you know them too you know you them. Know, you know, of them. You you know, know some of them personally, right. but most of them you don't. Right. And you never have a forum that can discuss these things because it's competition. And also, it's some of it's very private. They want to keep it. No, it's, in, in it's proprietary. Proprietary. That's you what I mean. You cannot discuss I mean, it in, 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 right, in any way publicly. Of course, you can present it in a conference, but you need to present it only, you the know, surface. the academic part right, and right, less the technology part. Is sometimes challenging. But my point is, <laughs> you know who is there and what they're doing. Even, uh, you know, not everything is in the public domain. Right, right. It's very interesting. I think it is. Before I end the podcast, I'd like to ask this question. Knowing what you know now and what you've been through throughout life, if you could magically go back in time and meet the younger Ivo, what advice would you give him and what time would you go back to? Oh, this is a very difficult question. I mean, this is really kind of almost... Uh, fundamental question in life why you're born here what are you doing in this in this kind of environment so I will answer it in the following way I will return back probably to the younger myself maybe 10 years old or something like that and carefully choose the field I like to be because I like and I enjoy engineering technology but there are many many other fields that also could be very rewarding in my in my kind of kind of life exp experiences, and that is probably philosophy, spirituality, you know, uh, mental training, and um, this kind of field of 
complete fulfillment that is beyond physical, beyond science and technology. This is one area that I'm kind of missing to a certain degree because of too much attachment to, to science and technology that I'm doing on a daily basis. So this will be one area that I like to return to myself and go back to get better myself. So something that you might do when you, something still that you might do as you get older. Yes, which hopefully I'll have a time to do. Oh. But I don't want to retire early on because no all my duties are for, for my daughter. I hear you, I hear you. <laughs> I will thank you thank so you much. So much sir. I really thank you it. so much. I really thank was you. very glad to, right. to have this long thank discussion. Thank you so much. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed.